Because of the coronavirus epidemic and to respect social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was recorded remotely over Zoom. Good evening and welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, hosting tonight, and I'm joined tonight by uh, John R. Roberts, kindly editing things, and Sue Timberlake, kindly doing all the hard work. Hey there. <laughs> and uh, we're fortunate enough to have a special guest tonight, Ms. Tara Jacobs, who's running to be uh, on the Governor's Council, <clears throat> and we'll get into talking to her in just a moment. First, I just want to mention a few basic things. First off... Um, we uh, uh, do love to hear from our listeners, and you can get in touch with us in a few different ways. Uh, at Civil Politics FM on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Civil Politics Radio, or you can email contact at civilpoliticsradio.com, which, is, of course, is also our special dedicated website with links to previous episodes of the show and supplemental episodes and other goodies like that. So absolutely go and check that out. Um, also, I just want to mention uh, I got in the mail... Uh, from uh, our Secretary of State, um, the the self-described Prince of Darkness himself, <laughs> Mr. Galvin. <laughs> um, but seriously, well, but seriously, I got one of those uh, voter information guides with information on the three ballot questions. Yeah, we did. Woo! Before, uh, not sure exactly when, but it's sometime in October, I think, or possibly even uh, if we can do it in November, just before the election, we might do it then. But we will go over the three ballot questions and give our official civil politics recommendations on how to vote on that, which will, I'm sure, be of enormous value to everyone. Um, I'm so happy. Yeah, I know. I got my booklet. So it's so, it's so awesome. Did you did you inhale the the the, the smell of cheap paper and newsprint? Of course I did. It's it's been smelling in the same way since like 1995. It's great. I I actually join, join I your collection. I don't. Yes. I'm not quite as enthusiastic, but I love it too. Anyway, I, I collect them, so it's going in the huge for, box that I have right now. <laughs> so I should also mention. The, go ahead. Go Sue. I was going to say for the listeners, there's a couple of ballot questions missing. They printed it before they um. Just, just as they were being approved. Oh. One of them, my party introduced the um, overturning the uh, driver's licenses. Oh, that's or, um, is that, uh, the, and those are statewide ballots? Ballot questions? Yep. Yeah, All that's right. why he printed it so quick. He didn't want my party to have it on the ballot. So, But it's going to be on the ballot. It just isn't in the guide. Ah, uh, well, that is you know, cool God bless others. partisan shenanigans. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, well, it was last minute so yes but there are i think right. there's a couple other ones still if there, local, if there so. if there's an actual deadline and mm -hmm. he he went before it then you know anyway doesn't matter right now but i just wanted to mention that in part because also on there there was uh information for voters that was different from what i'd gleaned from the secretary of state's website a few months ago the most important part of which is the deadline to register for to vote in Massachusetts is apparently the 29th of October, not the 19th. Ooh. That's pretty significant. I mean, unless unless the voting information guide that they sent us is wrong, I suppose it's possible. But all I know is they say it's the 29th. Also, um, if I, I I possibly misunderstood or misremembered what it said on the mail in ballot that I got to send in for the primaries. But it says in the voting information guide 
that uh, things that that mail in ballots mailed uh, by election day, postmarked by election day and received, I believe, within seven days of election day will be counted. And it's not ballots have to be received on election day or earlier, which is, I believe, what it was for the primaries. I don't know if they changed that or if there was just bad information somewhere. I don't know why there's an apparent difference. Uh, something to look into. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it does suggest that information any... I gave to I gave to our listeners in a previous episode might well have been wrong. So uh, I from the. From the uh, Secretary of State website, for the November 8th, 2022 state election, ballots returned in person or by Dropbox must be delivered by 8 p.m. on Election Day. Ballots returned by mail from inside the United States must reach your local election office by 5 p.m. on November 12th, 2022 in order to be counted. Mm -hmm. Mail so four days after Election Day. Yeah, mail ballots received after 8 p.m. on Election Day can only be counted if they are postmarked by Election Day. That's that's the information that we have right now. All right. So maybe huh. I maybe I misunderstood well, that. Anyway. Oh, and they can't be dropped off at the polling place on election day. Good to know. So, so I'm going to tell all my friends who are Republicans to make sure that they don't wait until the last minute because the mail is so bad right now. Get it in as soon as you know. <laughs> I'm going to tell your Republican even... friends to wait. <laughs> Yeah, just tell them nope, to turn out on wait. Wednesday the 9th. Everything should be fine. That's, yeah. that's totally <laughs> Election day is actually that. November 30th. So Right, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, just because the mail is so bad right now, I work for a small business, and the mail just, it's amazing how it disappears into the woodwork and pops up a month later. So don't even test it. Just mail it, it does, early. It is kind of disappointing, yeah. Anyway, we should, um, uh, let's we ask, yes. talk a, to a person that's here. I, I, I'm on it, man. All right, let's go. All right. So, uh, anyway, with that bookkeeping out of the way and that mea culpa out of the way, I'd like to introduce uh, Ms. Tara Jacobs. Uh, she hails from North Adams over in Berkshire County. Uh, she serves on the uh, school committee and school building committee and is chair of the library trustees over there in her fair city. Uh, she, uh, lives in a, looks like an adorable home based on zoom with five pets and, uh, has a background in advertising and marketing. And, uh, after we're done with this conversation, if you want to find out more about her and her campaign, you can go to her website, tarajacobs.com, which is T-A-R-A-J-A-C-O-B-S.com. So, uh, Ms. Jacobs, uh, welcome. Thank you for Thank joining you. us in civil politics. So uh, we've got a few basic questions that I think will be helpful that are drawn up by Sue. So let's just dive right in. The first one, of course, is uh, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Uh, wait, Sue. <laughs> oh, my God. You Republicans. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I did not write that question. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, man. All right. I apologize, Ms. Jacobs. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ms. Jacobs. We cannot, we cannot control him. <laughs> they, many have tried, but none have succeeded. Anyway. Uh, oh, man. She just laughed. <laughs> anyway. But for real... Um, so uh, why are you running for the governor's council? It's kind of an obscure position. What is it about it that uh, made you go, ooh, I need to do that? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. So um, 
this is a really interesting thing to do. It's also a really interesting thing to run for because very few people that I meet out and about have ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a, an incredibly important role in government. And um, it appealed to me for two reasons. One was the work itself. Um, the governor's council uh, is responsible. It's an advice and consent board that is a check and balance on the executive branch, mostly focused around the judiciary. So the governor's council confirms every judge across the Commonwealth up to the Supreme Judicial Court. They also are responsible for our, our clerk magistrates and uh, assistant clerk magistrates, clerks um, confirmation, the parole board. Um, if there's a pardon or a commutation, they weigh in and they make the final decision on that. Um, oh, and, and a number of other um, important roles, largely, again, related to the judiciary, but also uh, this is a a group that was constitutionally created way back when in colonial days that the language and the, and the role was created then. And so they are also responsible for draws on the treasury, which means they weigh in on at least significant portions of the state budget to give consent there as well. So, and it goes on and on the things they do. And for me, so the, the work itself was really appealing um, because I see it as an opportunity to affect positive change um, uh, in, in the work of confirming our judges and, and, and the parole board and, and on pardons and commutations and the other things. And the other thing that I found really appealing was the nature of the way they work, um, and again, this harkens back to constitutional days, um, they are mandated to meet with the governor and lieutenant governor every week to um, talk about their work, but that that's opportunity for relationship and access um, to me, uh, appeal to me for the opportunity to be an advocate for Western Mass and amplify our voices in Boston. Um, they are in the State House every Wednesday doing their work, surrounded by the legislature and working with the governor and lieutenant governor. So, um, as someone who's been really focused for a long time on on work that looks for community solutions and ways to improve the quality of life for our families and our students and our communities, it, it was just beyond appealing to, to um, try to have that, that role to do that work, but that access to do advocacy at a, at a very different level in a very different way. So the governor's council gives advice and consent, uh, much the way that the U.S. Senate does to, say, uh, cabinet officers or ambassadors appointed by the president. So or does Supreme that, Court, yeah. Or the Supreme Court, exactly, or various other judiciaries. So right. uh, does that mean that... Uh, if the governor appoints somebody to uh, some judicial office in the state, uh, that in theory, anyways, the governor's council could say, nah, that, that's no good, you know. I mean, in reality, yeah, they do sometimes deny. So it's it's less appointees. So for for instance, well, for some things it is appointees, but uh, for in the judicial worlds, for for, for um, district court, superior court, on and on, mm-hmm. um, the governor nominates. And then begins a process, and the, and and the, governor's, the governor's council, council is the final step okay. in that process. So, so not the state legislature, right? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the, the governor's council. There's only what, like ten people? Eight. On it, right? Eight. 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 
I'm running for District 8. It's the last district that's kind of parceled out across the state. Each district um, has within it uh, five Senate districts. And so that's how they carved up the, the state. So as huh. you get farther from Boston, um, they get larger in area, but the same number of people hmm. within so I have the largest district, District mm. 8, that I'm running for. It's 102 cities and towns across all four counties of Western Mass and even a little bit of Worcester County as well. Mm, okay. Oh, wow. It's very big. <laughs> yeah. It's a Huge. very big district. Yeah. It's the large outside run? of state office. It's the largest district. It's bigger than any congressional district. So it's sure. it is it is enormous. <laughs> it's been a lot of driving. Um, and a lot of really great communities that I've gotten to interact with. So one thing I, I noticed is that, you know, there were three other people running to be the Democratic nominee. And of course, there's also mm -hmm. Mr. Comerford on the Republican side. And he'll be with us next week, uh, listeners. So, you know, uh, just so you know. Um, uh, I, I heard a, a number of people were really like oh my god who's this tara jacobs person and how did she win and i'm like I, I i don't know i mean i saw a billboard for you in my area so like i i had some idea how you might have possibly gotten votes um but i love hearing people strategy. saw those by the way so yeah that's <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well it, yeah, money well brilliant. spent i i know for a fact one person voted you for you because of it so there you go um so uh i guess uh, a basic question is like you know, in campaigning for it, did you like was did you have a sense that like, you know, there's a party machine that is expecting, you know, some one of the other challengers to to just, of course, be get the job or, you know, uh, you know, people talk about you being sort of a surprise victory. Are, are you surprised or, you know, what? I don't know. It just it, it was an unusual campaign because I noticed you were running against, you know, three dudes with 20 years experience as, as lawyers. And then there's you who's not an attorney and i thought well all right that's different you know and not necessarily bad why does the you know it's not like this is a technical job that where if you don't have uh, a legal background you wouldn't be able to do it at least i wouldn't think so so can you talk about that at all sure um well so that was a lot but i think in terms of how surprised we were um we saw paths to victory. We saw um, a lot of things we had going uh, for, you know, being the only woman. Being from Berkshire County was an advantage in that mm. it was it very much, you know, the outsider and looking to. And then throughout my campaign, I've, I've hammered and, and demonstrated with all all the I've visited almost all the communities and spoken with people and been there and been present um, across this huge district. And mm. my message was always for all of Western Mass. So Berkshire County understands very well how much representation matters. Yep. And yeah. um, and that we ha we need a we need better amplification of our voices in Boston. Um, so that message resonated and, and, and being from North Adams in a way was an advantage in that way. And that it was like, who more than the farthest corner understands how important it is for us to be heard and seen and understood. Um, and, and the not a lawyer was an advantage too, in that, um, you know, my focus was really on being the voice of the people, people, there are a lot, you know, victims, 
um, families, advocates, community members, they're impacted by who our judges are too and who our parole board is too. And, and they deserve a voice at that table. And it's interesting because looking back, even 10 years ago, it was a more balanced governor's council than it is right now in terms of it was literally half and half non-lawyers and lawyers. Yeah. Um, and that has shifted to more lawyers being at the table now. But there's two current sitting non-lawyers. Mm. And if I win in November, I would make the third. Mm. Um, although Mr. Comfort's not a lawyer either. So either way, um, that will be a little bit more balanced. And, and I think important because I think diversity of opinion and experience and, and, um, and viewpoint and skill set actually, you know, infuse into any working group, um, more balance and, 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 uh, serve better to serve our communities when there is that diversity. Um, so I, all those things I think were positive and, and were well received. Um, and yet still never overconfident about it, never, never certain as much as we saw advantages and we saw um, all these positives. I mean, the reality was there were three equally uh, compelling candidates, all from Hamden County, um, who are all also making a great case for why they would be good in this role. And Hamden County has the population center. So we never got cocky or, or over overconfident that we would win but it, I was very hopeful and um, well I didn't expect anything I hoped for the best and yep. and um, it was still wildly exciting to see the results play out um, yeah, you really and pulled I did through. yeah 32 yeah. percent <laughs> uh, like jeez <laughs> and you know and it, it was <laughs> you know we were expecting to know the answer by like 11 at night, maybe 10, 11, and then literally not till 11 the next day. So it was a nail biter. It was a roller coaster ride. It was exciting to watch play out, uh, nerve wracking sometimes to watch play out. It was up and down and up and down and really close to each other. And then um, the final numbers came in and, and just popped me ahead. So, um, you know, but even just looking at how it played out to your question about was there a favorite um, at the very beginning, I, I ended up being neck and neck with Mike Fenton at the very beginning. I thought he was the one to be. And then Jeff Morneau did an amazing campaign. I saw him everywhere. He worked really hard. I don't think anyone worked harder than me. I really, I put like 90 plus hours a week and 15,000 miles in my car driving all over and being everywhere. But I saw Jeff a lot and I, and I thought his campaign was good and his message was good. And, and we had actually shifted to, to, you know, internally talking about, um, Jeff being the one to beat. And then, mm. and then ultimately it ended up our original perception of it. It was, it was Mike Benton to be the one to beat, but so it, you never know what the voters are going to do, you know? So I, I did my best to connect with the voters, talk to as many people as I could and across a wide spectrum and, and went to people where they were and and really did a lot to try to educate on governor's council because you tell, you say some to someone you're running for governor's council and generally the reaction is, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, but once you explain what it is and what they do, you don't even have to fill in the final part of that's important. People are like, Oh, that's that's actually really important, and I had no idea how that happened in our state. So, 
Um, well, I agree that it's certainly important. And I, I'm like, yeah, all right. I, I knew it was a big deal, but now I'm better understanding why. So um, <clears throat> if one of the most basic responsibilities of the governor's council is going to be uh, uh, vetting uh, judicial nominees from the whoever the governor is, um, what kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of criteria are you, are you, do you think you'll be bringing to that uh, role if you get it? You know, what would be red flags for you? I know, I know you yeah. don't want to necessarily, you know, speak too freely or whatever. Uh, uh, but, you know, like, what are you, uh, you know, what's what's your if you're interested in, in bringing justice and equity and, and representing, you know, Western Mass here, like sort of what are the things you'll be looking for? I mean, thing one is qualified, right? You want a judge who's got the qualifications. But once you put sure. that, you know, assuming you you have someone before you who is qualified, then the next thing for me is, is you know, looking for um, people who marry justice with fairness, um, who, um, you know, have a temperament, judicial temperament and character to serve fairly and... Um, you know, my, my hope is to be able, you really can only confirm who's in front of you, right? So you, of course, whoever the, the options are in front of you, but, but my goal is to, um, really look for, you know, more diverse, um, judges. And that doesn't, that's not only in, in terms of racial makeup at all, but experience as well, kind of going back to what I was saying about my experience at the table being a more diverse um, addition. Um, there tends to be a lot of, um, you know, criminal attorneys and, and prosecutors going towards judicial roles, but I'd love to see public defenders and I'd love to see um, lawyers with family practice. And just in terms of experience from that standpoint, you know, equally qualified in terms of having a record to stand on, education and, and, and strong resumes. But what field are they from? You know, I think we need more diversity there. And um, ideally looking for um, judges who are, you know, aware of the racial disparities in our incarcerated population, kind of are concerned about that and, and hopefully want to be a part of, of shifting those trends so, um, through well, their own their own sense of of fairness I, I, that certainly those are huge issues and you know our our criminal justice system has major problems our our prison systems has major problems i completely agree with you um and if you're looking at you know superior court justices or people who might be on the supreme judicial court of the state you know you'll have a judicial track record for you to look at but somebody who's being nominated for, you know, like a district court judge, you know, sort of the the, the basic, you know, right. workhorse tier, someone who hasn't been a judge before that, how, what kind of things do you think you might look for to sort of establish judicial temperament or, you know, uh, you, you know, like has a law degree, has practiced law for 10 years, you know, like, okay, that seems reasonably, sounds like qualifications, but like, you know, what would you look for in a someone who who has been like a district attorney or a public defender or whatever you know well, the cool, yeah go ahead yeah i, the I cool don't know thing, <laughs> the cool thing about how governor's council works is a you get you get a packet of information about each candidate that's sort of like an exalted application resume and all that so you have sure 
you have information to start from in terms you of are a are. job hiring committee effectively <laughs> basically you know? right and yeah. i've been on a I mean, bunch you, of those you, in my various roles yeah but, but, you're, but you you don't get to you don't you get often, to pick who comes in but you do get to say no based yes. on what you think so yeah yeah mm-hmm. so you get this packet of information but on top of that and where i get excited as well at the opportunity is governor's council members can in whichever way they wish on the phone or in person do deep dive interviews with these candidates, these nominees, to really have the kinds of conversations that can really eke out who this person is and what their character is. And that is at the complete discretion of each each individual member on how they want to approach that, how much time they want to give and what kinds of things they want to ask. Um, so by the time they come to the point of having um, you know, the, the vote, They've had an opportunity to have hearings together um, in their chambers, but also these one-on-ones where they can really assess the character of the person. Um, And so I I fully intend to take advantage of that. Um, I think that's a really important time to be able to evaluate each individual person, not just on what they've provided document wise in terms of what their background is. And, and then other things come through during the course of the hearing, um, you know, letters of support, witnesses of support. And, and again, as a governor's council member, there's the opportunity to reach out to their community and, and call, um, whoever's appropriate, the, maybe the bar association, maybe the DA, maybe other lawyers in their community, maybe just people in their community who have had interactions. You certainly sounds like you have plenty of opportunities to really uh, uh, get a sense of the not just the opinions uh, uh, and character, as well as the you know expertise of uh, you know previous work of uh, any judicial nominee. Uh, I'm just wondering. So, uh, would these uh, interviews that you you can conduct would they be uh, uh, are they confidential? Are they public? Are the hearings the governor's council are they public meetings like governed by public meeting laws in the state or do they meet uh, uh, privately? I mean, how does that? Do you know how that works? It's a mix. So the when I was just talking about the being able to have one on ones, that's private. Mm-hmm. The hearings uh, and meetings in the chamber now have cameras, which came mm. in during COVID and were briefly removed. Sure. They're back. So they record and there's live streaming and YouTube um, archives that you can watch what happens in the chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a mix. It's nice that COVID really opened opened the door to the cameras so people can see it. Maybe people more people will know what the governor's council, council does. I, I read somewhere that when it was first formed, if the lieutenant governor and governor were incapacitated, the governor's council actually ran the state. It happened, yeah. I think, during the Civil War. You know, constitutionally, they're still third in line. Not, not. For, it used to be they actually, yeah, you, they would actually be the body that would run the state in that event. If you can yeah. imagine that, that changed a while back. But it, it, their, their role is still constitutionally. Def, there's like a. Uh, third, a hierarchy yeah. in the state and they are yep. third after the governor and lieutenant governor then the governor's council which i think honestly probably and i may learn different going forward but my understanding is it basically just means like during you know state events or or, or during um you know inaugurations or whatever it's sort of the order of how people enter a room and where mm. they sit oh, ceremonial <laughs> yep yeah i think so i think at this point that's really <laughs> 
I don't think anyone is particularly like impressed. Like, oh, here comes the governor's yeah. council. Like, there. Well, there it is. One thing I did I do understand is that uh, if the governor resigns or 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 expires before the end of their term, the lieutenant governor just becomes acting governor. They never actually become governor. They remain, you know, say the the acting governor for the rest of the term. So it's just right, one of like those little – That's what happened that was, with Jane Swift. Right, yeah. right. But it's not like the vice presidency where the vice president then becomes president. So, yeah. Right. Anyway, John Russ, Sue, any uh, further questions? Because uh, we're, we're coming up on the uh, half-hour break here of our show. Yeah, we so, are. So, Yeah. Uh, I don't have any questions, Sue. Well, I guess um, uh, after the primary, uh, are you getting support from the Western Mass Democrats to help you out? I know there were a lot of people on the ballot. And uh, it was just, and then what are your plans? Yeah, well, so first off, I just have to say we had a really civil, I mean, it kind of goes with your your title, a very civil-friendly um, campaign season amongst us. We really just focused on our own qualifications and, and got along really well. And so, the, you know, A, nice. you know, my fellow primary candidates are endorsing and supporting and, and promoting um, my candidacy now in, in, in a, a, a show of unity. And, and, and honestly, we really just genuinely liked each other Um during the campaign. And then I've gotten incredible support from the Democratic Party. I spoke at the state um, committee meeting of the Massachusetts Democratic um, Party this past weekend and, and had was just really well received and supported. And it was an incredible honor. And then um, I've been endorsed by Maura Healy um, and, um, and, and the other, um, you know, our our candidate for lieutenant governor and auditor and attorney general and, and secretary of state have all been enormously supportive and and I've made good friends with them over the course of campaigning. We end up in the same place a lot, um, and so it's just been. And they know, And I was going to say, and they know you're third in line now. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Right. I'm glad uh, nobody was throwing out you know uh, garbage bins full of you know. Tara Jacobs dolls with pins stuck all in them and whatnot. So that's good. Anyway, if they we, are, I don't know about it. Fair enough. Anyway, we do have to wrap up uh, and get on to uh, the second half of the show in a moment. So uh, Tara Jacobs, uh, Democratic candidate for the governor's council for the 8th district uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, good luck in the November 8th election. Uh, listeners who want to find out more, go to tarajacobs.com. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you on. This has been Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Uh, Don't go away. We'll be right back. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps do not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. 
clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's Subculture Music Program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. to evidence-based radio, science and skepticism from a feminist and socialist perspective. Every week, we explore the interesting and important stories in science with a focus on the positive. Friday nights from 6 to 7 on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, or at evidencebasedarada.com. That's 6 to 7 p.m. Fridays on Valley Free Radio. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow, and I'm still doing the show with my good friends, Genre and Sue. Hello. Hey there. And uh, yeah, let's uh, pivot from talking about a local election to uh, another local news story that uh, has certainly gained national traction. Um, the, uh, situation with the, uh, 50 odd, uh, migrants from, uh, uh, Latin America who were shipped up to Martha's Vineyard on false pretenses. Um, they are, uh, I'm not sure exactly where they are right now. Uh, last I heard they've been, they've been basically taken to Otis Air Force Base to, uh, uh, you know, like, cause like house, they could all be find housing together and there was medical care and, you know, all the resources to provide with food and clothing and everything like that all in one place. So is that, what have you guys heard? Uh, joint, yeah, a, joint base and cake pad. Okay. Yeah. It, it was Otis when I was Otis air force when I was a kid and that's what oh, I okay. remember, but you know, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, so they are there. They're not under arrest. They're not in custody. They're not going to be deported, despite what I've heard on some right-wing talking points. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard that they're actually trying to help them if there's family somewhere that they would like to get get to. The nonprofits are working out trying mm-hmm. to help them go wherever they intend to go, where they would like to go. But yeah, food, medical care, resources, social services. They, mm-hmm. They're doing it up with all. And I think Romney did that, too, during, was it Katrina, when people were trying to mm-hmm. get out of um, New Orleans, and th- they used the same base, I believe. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. And it was, mm-hmm. pretty, it was pretty quick. I mean, it, the good news is, you know, they're heated and they're warm and they're um, all set up and there's cafeteria and kitchens and, yeah, 
<laughs> I remember we actually, that was back when I owned a comic book store and we actually sent a box of, uh, uh, you know, old comics, you know, for kids and whatnot, just so they, Oh, for the know. kids? Yeah. Cause just like, yeah, you know, here's a bunch, you know, a couple hundred old comics, you know, that, you know, we, we would have sold for like 50 cents or a box. So we were just like, yeah, whatever, here you go. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. It, it was all my, par- nice. all, uh, my partner Jim's idea. He was like, we should do this. And then he made it happen because he was a great guy. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I'm, 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 I gotta say, I really am struck by how, um, the whole point of this was to basically, uh, shame, uh, you know, Massachusetts and left-wingers who are like, we're mistreating migrants who come to this country and we should do better. And he was like, well, let's see how you like it when you have all these brown people to deal with. And it's like, okay. Like, um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you did give him points, points for trolling last week. You did sure. give him some points for... Oh, yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was a good it's, attempt. It's a, it's a plus, you know, it's a plus, you know... <laughs> you know, dirty trickery, trolling nastiness, but you know, uh, there, there's, there's more to life and even to politics than that. The thing is that with, with trolling, you really, you really grade on how effective it is. And this was the only effect that he got was just a lot of people on the right saying good job. And that's pretty much it. Everybody else is like either indifferent or what the hell are you doing? And you know? yeah. well, the class action suit, I think you mentioned, right? Yep. Uh, we were talking about way. this. <laughs> migrants, uh, the migrants are filing a class action suit. They they did find some lawyers that are, that are representing them pro bono um, with a lot. Uh, they they got a lot going for them. Uh, they um, they are uh, the com- they allege in the complaint that they were given misleading information, promising cash assistance, employment services, and housing assistance, when it, which they called bold-faced lies. Clearly, yeah. uh, it was forty-eight migrants, by the way, mostly from Venezuela. Um, they actually, Florida officials manufactured an official-looking brochure using language from the Massachusetts Refugee Resettlement Program in order to buttress their false oral representations and furtherance of the conspiracy. Uh, so they are being represented by Boston-based lawyers, lo- Boston-based lawyers for civil rights, and who say they suffered economic, emotional, and constitutional harms that amount to a minimum of seventy-five thousand dollars. And they are also asking the federal court to block DeSantis from repeating this. A thing I noticed also. Go get him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> drag him, drag his body around the castle. Yeah. Get him. Well, they can't show up for their hearings because they have hearings scheduled back in Texas. Various other states. Yeah. No, they, no, they yeah. don't have it in Texas. They were, when they were loaded onto those planes and they all signed these weird waivers that they that people lied about they put the the people loading them on the planes put their addresses for different parts of the country yeah some in dc like they were actually told they were going to dc uh when they were flown to massachusetts some of these some of these forms have their uh address like have their addresses in like wyoming or Washington uh, State, Washington State, like all around the country. Yeah. And never get their notices. Well, the the thing is that they would have to appear in court near those addresses. And some of those 
some of them were told that they had to get there by Monday morning when they arrived on the Friday night. Right, which this is past Monday. physically impossible. Right for them. So the um, uh. yeah, it wasn't. It they, they don't have to just go back to Texas to to go to court. They all these forms are like everything's messed up, and all of them did apply for a visa for asylum. Like they, yeah, so they're legal. Yeah, they yeah. they've done everything right. They follow the law, and they all want to follow the law. The thing is that they like the even if you got, you're going to fly them all to Massachusetts, you should have their the information for Massachusetts so they can all go to court. But no, they don't want them all to go to court. They want them deported. So it like I'm really hoping that not just DeSantis, but the people that helped, the people that yeah. forged all these documents, the people that loaded them onto these planes and. I don't know how much English all of them all of them speak, or if these forms were in Spanish or or whatever. It's I've been mad about this for like the past week. I I'm I'm so and, upset about this. And like supposedly, just as a Massachusetts resident, yeah, and just a human person, yeah. yeah. But like, I'm so I I I was so happy with the way that Martha's Vineyard, um, yeah, you know, and I and uh, I've said some stuff about Martha's Vineyard. You know, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. What could you possibly say about Cape our Cod, fine little island? You know, All right. But yeah. um, you know, yeah. the people on Martha's Vineyard, they really stepped up. They yeah. really stepped up, yeah, and they, I, I cannot thank them the enough right for thing. doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and also part of what I heard is uh, some of the people who were processing these refugees and were filling out forms with them to before they got flown up here. Uh, at least the people, some of those people were represented as being from the Department of Homeland Security for being with, you know, customs or some other part of yeah. the federal government. Now, I don't know if that's yeah. true or if there were if if there were actual federal employees uh, doing that or if there were people who were pretending. Uh, but either way, that's that's a serious issue. And I, I I haven't heard anything about what the Biden administration's looking into with that, but I hope they're doing something. I think they've opened shocking. a uh, a uh, uh, an investigation, um, yeah. and they are considering like what actions that the DOJ can take. Uh, but for the most part, it's going to be it's probably just going to be these these Boston lawyers trying to a state issue do something. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe the maybe the attorney general will will get into it. You know, state Could to be. state kind of thing. But it's well, disgusting. The, the, I hate it. The um, inf- infringing on the federal role. You know, sometimes the federal government does take a little more action because they consider it their domain. So maybe that'll happen where the states are really interfering with the federal plans yeah. and operating plans. Well, let's hope related to that ability is needed. Yeah, for sure. God, yeah. Related to that, did you guys see the uh, little letter that uh, Governor Abbott of Texas uh, sent to uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris? No. Okay. No. I, I think I sent you a link, but I might have sent it too late for you guys to have a look before the show. Basically, it was like a three-page letter, um, an open letter that oh, says, you know, uh, we got a real problem with with fentanyl in this country, and it's it's a uh, you know a huge public health crisis. And since all the fentanyl is coming from these two Mexican drug cartels, Mexicans, 
Uh, what you need to do, Mr. President, is declare those two uh, criminal organizations to be international terrorist groups and then, you know, do everything you can to smite them with the fury of the U.S. government. Jesus. And, and you know, and he goes on about, you know, like, obviously we have a problem with uh, opioid addiction in this country right now. But uh, basically, Governor Abbott is saying, like, we, you know, like, we'll solve that problem if you just, you know, declare war on these two Mexican criminal gangs. And uh, and as part of that, he uh, also, uh, you know, you know, says, I hereby issue a proclamation as governor of Texas that, you know, these two organizations, I, I declare them to be international terrorist organizations and Texas law enforcement will do everything we can to to, to fight their nefarious evil doing ways or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, Again. but it's it's yeah. fascinating because, uh, you know, international terrorism is a federal issue. So. This is effectively yeah, yeah. A, an angry rant uh, on a, you know, on a, to the local newspaper, to letter to the editor, but on fancy letterhead. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, and I saw a lot uh, of our a listener of Mexico from China. So I was just going to say a listener of ours in Mexico brought that to my attention because it's been uh, 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 it's been talked about a lot uh, in the Mexican press. So as you might yeah, imagine, south of the border. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I thought a lot of our fentanyl came from China the last time I checked. So. Yep. I don't know. And and the and the pharmaceutical companies have, you know, for opioids, all the other class of opioids, you know, they're the guilty party. Well, they they are getting a lot of court cases like the um Yeah. Uh the the makers and people that sell it, they like there have been some class action suits, which is really good. Yep. Um, ah, the sacrifice. Well, Healy's been involved yeah. in a bunch of them. Yep. Yep. Well, she you know, has. It's it's interesting because I I always get really frustrated because a lot of the AGs go ahead and do some sort of a deal. You know, at some point they say, you know, we've chased them enough, they've offered enough, we're going to accept the deal. And um, the AG in um, in uh, New York didn't do that with Trump. He Letitia James, settle. yeah. Yeah, he, he offered to settle a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and she said, Nope. <laughs> and I just, it's for once, you know, because there's always these plea deals and a lesser charge. Like the North, like, like the Manhattan district I'm, attorney basically just has just rolled over and, and uh, allowed yeah. the, I can't remember the name of the fellow, but like the chief financial officer for the Trump organization, fellow who isn't in the Wessel, a member of the family. Wesselberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Weisselberg, I think. And just, yeah. You know, uh, the government had him dead to rights, and they basically let him plea out on a on lesser charges or whatever without offering any he, testimony against R- the Trumps. And just like Rikers, what, isn't he? I think he's Mr. Reiselberg. He might well. I mean, that's yeah, not right. a not a nice place to be. But uh, but it's only for a month. It's yeah. like that's what they agreed to a month at Rikers or something. Yeah, and it's like wait, yeah, <laughs> the fraud is dripping from every. Yeah. piece of that organization. Yeah, it's yeah, it's she's, absolutely she's squandering leverage and uh and and yep. refusing to follow up on some fairly compelling evidence to uh actually go after the president directly on criminal charges and it's just really just an embarrassment. You know, I don't well, know. Well, Letitia James is yeah. not doing that then she's got him yep. by the short hairs, so sort of fun. So some forgettable yeah. white guy you know, or a memorable black woman. Gee, I don't I don't know which one I prefer at this point. I really thought that she was going to be running for governor. Uh but she but she like passed on it. 
um, this this uh, maybe this she term. wanted to finish this case. Think, yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming that. Yeah. The, yeah, the New York, the other New York case. I think wasn't that part of it that somebody was finishing up and they handed it off to somebody else, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it just mm-hmm. sort of dissolves into the yeah. That's work. that's yeah, the I new di- the new I, Manhattan District Attorney. Yeah, exactly. And the the yeah. line prosecutors I involved in the case resigned because of his decision right. to just drop the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. I just I hate that when yeah. and it happens a lot in our criminal justice system. I mean, I I hope I hope we have really good judges in this state. I don't know too much about the judges, but hopefully one of the things whoever gets to be governor's counsel from yes. district eight helps make a stronger case for judges who are you know tough but fair. And follow through. I mean, everybody's overworked, but you just see yeah. it all the time with all well, of these you see the, the issue, judges, especially we immigration judges. We just need more of them. Right. And so immigration judges, by the way, are executive officials. They're Article 2, not Article 3. So that's that's a different – they're not part of the uh, formal judiciary. The president yeah. can like – yeah, absolutely. The president can just fire them for no – you know, without – you know, for the way they can fire pretty much any other federal employee. They're not, you know, lifetime appointments. The The rules in immigration court aren't governed by the same laws uh, as, uh, you know, civil or criminal courts in the U.S. because they're not civil or criminal courts. They're immigration courts. They're administrative procedures run by the executive branch. So – that that's part of why well, that's right. they always it's all ask them all to resign when the new president comes in. Right. And they take some of them and some of them they don't. You know who's a good judge is Judge uh, is it Deary? The, the special in master York, in the, the, the yeah. DOJ Trump case from the documents yeah. at Mar a Lago? Yeah. Yeah, he's, I feel like he's just like just he's just ramping up. It feels like real justice. Like he got, just he just I, I got to say, I'm astonished that he's the the person that he's one of the two people the that Trump's lawyer said should be the special master. Uh, like they, I I can only presume that they expected something rather different from uh, from this fellow. The, the other person they suggested uh, is actually the the other person they said should be a special master is not a judge. He's an a, an attorney who actually is married to somebody who's on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the federal circuit that would overhear, you know, any appeals of Judge Cannon's ruling. So that just, you know, is is an obvious conflict of interest kind of thing. And it's like, well, you know, you you clearly have a sense of how this, you know, like that really (laughs) looked like an attempt by the Trump team to sort of, you know, put a finger on the scales in his favor. Yeah, grease the skids. Yeah, well put. Yeah. So so they, they, the Justice Department agreed to the other person they, they nominated, Justice Gary, and immediately it, it doesn't seem to be going well for the for the for Mr. Trump's lawyers. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a real court of law. It's really kind of it's kind of nice to watch. And, yeah. you know, it's for once it's like, well, if you're going to say they're they're declassified, show me. Yeah. And if you're yeah. going to tell me that uh you know that the, the FBI planted documents. Do- you you got to come up with some evidence. <laughs> you know which <laughs> documents? Yeah, exactly. Flying. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, flying along. Yeah, one of the like sometimes I uh, like some people I talk to about politics. They were they were saying that maybe he did the whole special master thing, thinking that it would just slow the process down. 
Could be. Uh, because the, the DOJ is appealing, obviously, anyway, like, especially with like a hundred or so, um, specific classified documents oh that that their so, their appeal has already been uh, oh that's uh, right it, well actually their appeal hasn't been heard but the uh the seventh circuit issued a preliminary injunction lifting that part of the judge's order the judge cannon's order so they they actually can they proceed back to the fbi right right they can yeah, proceed the with the well because the 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 judge said said you can't uh you can't use these documents to build any kind of criminal case for the moment against the former president, but you can do the whole national security review thing. But like those two processes are just completely intertwined, you know, like the whole thing about like the criminal case would be about how much damage is done to national security. Yeah. So, and Who's it's the same people who are going to be doing it. Yeah. It's, it's all going to blabber off. We know. Right. Exactly. So like, because all of this is going to be playing out the same way, uh, you know, with the same people, like there's no way to like separate the two. So it was, uh, you know, it was for better or worse, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, uh, whatever one wants to say about our national security apparatus and, uh, the huge government bureaucracies that are attached to it and whatnot, I think this was the right decision in that case, you know, uh, being circumspect about think, uh, nuclear weapons is always a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what scares me is I don't think that the the uh, archives or the DOJ or anybody knew what documents Trump had. No, they didn't. I don't. I, yeah, they, there was that. There's something broken in that system that he was able to squirrel all those away to his uh, his uh, golf his club little castle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they clearly didn't know what he had. Mark Meadows may have. I bet his fingerprints are on stuff. I think possibly he's go literally. To jail eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah, I be. I meant that literally. I wouldn't be shocked um, uh, uh, if if that's the case. But uh, he seems kind of wishy washy. I don't think yeah. he'd know that he shouldn't do that. Almost. Yeah, you know? but I imagine you know with sensitive compartmented information like that, it's probably fairly. It, it's probably easier than it might be. To, one might think to. Uh, not make it clear what documents have been turned over and if they were to make another copy, you know, they could just not tell people. I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know the ins and outs. And I certainly have never had a security clearance, so I can't offer too much uh, uh, insight into this. But, uh, yeah, from what I gather, it doesn't seem like the Justice Department went in there with a shopping list for the search warrant uh, for, for everything. Nope. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm wrong. But, yeah. I think they're surprised by what they found. And yes. thank God somebody tipped them off that it was there. Uh, yeah, that makes me nervous because that's that's an, another accountability failure that they didn't know what, what he had. You know, when they bring it to him, they're supposed to bring it back. You know, when they take it to for review, some of yeah. those things are supposed to go right, go right back. So, Yeah, all of the uh, documents are uh, uh, from the former president's presidency you're supposed to go straight to the archives as soon as he leaves office so that's yeah, yeah. Uh, mike anyway. you wanted to bring something up well yeah end? speaking of accountability oh, next, <laughs> next yeah. wednesday the 28th uh the january 6th committee in the house will be meeting again uh they'll be having more open hearings and uh i look forward to seeing how that goes uh and they they are committed to uh issuing their report uh by the end of this year so that even if the, uh, the the Republicans do seize control of the House, the January 6th committee will have finished their work before the Republicans can stop them. Excellent. So, 
Uh, yeah. Get him. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, well, Ginny Thomas is going in to talk to him too now. I guess. Who yeah, knows why? she is. That will be interesting. interesting. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that yeah. note, we, we do have to wrap it up. So thank you for listening to Civil Politics tonight here on Valley Free Radio. Coming up next is Subculture, followed by Table of Contents at 10 and OK Asia at midnight. Uh, the podcast of the show is going out Saturday morning, so listen to us over the weekend. And there's a repeat broadcast on Monday afternoon, so listen to us all over again. That'll do it for now. Thanks for listening. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.